It's the Book and Film Globe podcast, and I am your host, Neil Pollock, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, and not to mention the greatest living American writer. You can find the site at www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. We have a very fun show for you this week. We're going to talk to Pablo Gallaga, one of our film critics, about Megan, a new fun creepy doll movie that is in theaters now. And we're also going to talk to John Paul Gwynn about White Noise, which is an adaptation of the uh, Don DeLillo novel that is now airing on Netflix, uh, directed by Noah Baumbach, uh, who previously has not done a film like this. So that was kind of interesting. And also uh, JP will talk to me about Jack Ryan, season three, the adaptation of the Tom Clancy character starring John Krasinski, which airs on Amazon Prime. So we've got some range this week. We've got some fun stuff to talk about, some good segments. And I want you to stick around because uh, you will be enlightened and informed and amazed. We'll be right back after this brief, self-produced musical interlude. People had long considered Don DeLillo's 1985 novel of ideas, White Noise, to be unfilmable. Uh, it's essentially uh, not entirely plotless, but it, you know, it's basically a philosophical tract. Um, and at this point, it's also 40 years old, but there is a white noise movie now. Noah Baumbach, who traditionally does not uh, do sort of literary adaptations, has made a, a movie of white noise, and it premiered at film festivals last year and now is airing on Netflix. And John Paul Gwynn wrote a review of it for us. Hello, JP. Hi, how are you? I'm well. So, yes, yeah, so I watched The White Noise, and you watched The White Noise. And I think we both kind of agreed that, like, it's not really material for a movie right i'm going into it having read the book and uh i spent a lot of time watching the movie thinking what would this feel like if i hadn't read the book and i don't really know yeah that's a good that's a good point because there's this hilarious um i i was looking at the rotten tomatoes page for white noise and you know the gap between critics critics gave it in the 60s and audience was like the audience hated it it's on netflix right and so the audience has just boomed for it and they were promoting it rather heavily it's a noah baumbach movie they paid for it etc and people were like this was the worst family movie night ever it you know i mean I'm it's like, not a family movie night like it's a it's an art house movie the dialogue is very silted because everybody talks like don delillo's fiction um so it's got that kind of stilted dialogue of Something like The Lobster, I think, was is something that you could compare it to, uh, where everybody talks in this way that's not naturalistic. It doesn't feel like the way real people talk. But at the same time, it's not as weird as The Lobster to a point where you go, well, what's going on here? I guess I'll keep watching. Like, I basically watched it because I'd read the book. I'd like Noah Baumbach. I like the cast. And that kept me into it. I think a lot of its best stuff comes in the middle. And I think if the middle started the movie, then a lot of people would stick with it more. I don't know if they'd like it more, but yeah, or art house. Or if they had made the middle the entire movie, because basically, you know, the central, the most famous thing that the book is known for is the airborne toxic event, uh, which right. takes place in near a uh, sort of New England college town where the protagonist, Jack Gladney, is a professor of Hitler studies. 
um, which an idea that seemed funnier in 1985, I think, than it, it does today. But, you know, that's what he does. It hasn't aged well, no. Yeah. No, no. It's just like, okay, yeah, we get it. But um, we, we, there's lots of things you can study now that are, are too close to Hitler, really. But all right. But, there, but there's this but basically there's, a, there's like a train crash with a tanker truck and it creates this this chemical electric thing that hovers over the town and people have to flee. And, you know, like you said in the review, they do, you know, Baumbach does a nice job of sort of visualizing the purple cloud with lightning in it and the sort of the scenes of people fleeing their homes in panic are funny, but also a little bit scary. And then there's this hilarious set piece where the family escapes one of these refugee camps in their station wagon. And, you know, they trying to follow these survivalists and somehow make it through, but they, you know, it's, it's pretty ridiculous, but it's also like enjoyable to watch. Like it's funny and good filmmaking and it kind of gets out of its own head for a minute there. Right. You have stuff actually happening in the middle of the movie as opposed to people just talking to each other about how they fear death. Sometimes it's foreplay and uh, sexual foreplay. Right. Sexual foreplay. And, and, and that's, that's it. People prattle on each other about philosophy, but it's not even, it's not even really deep philosophy at times. It's things like men are killers. That's what they do. They kill. And so of course it's not that great. Like, but then you have a, you have this big disaster in the middle of the book, in the middle of the movie a lot of the stuff that plays well on page just doesn't play as well on screen. Whereas all the disaster stuff, we know disaster plays well on screen. Yeah. And, and, he, and he doesn't, and he doesn't, it's like kind of an art house disaster. And I feel like he does, he does a nice job with it. Um, you know, and the other thing that we're, well, there's, and you talk about this in your review as well. The other thing that works is the scene design. Um, you know, the sort of 1980s professor's house feels very accurate. And like we all were in that house at one, I didn't grow up in that house, but we all were in that house at one, one time or another. And then the super, yeah. the supermarket. The day, right. I mean, the day glow the supermarket. Super, the day supermarket works really well there. They have, uh, they end the movie with a giant dance scene set to LCD sound system. That's uh, just great to watch yeah very enjoyable uh, and, and i feel like it almost would have been a, a good opening credits sequence it definitely would get people into the movie you know i think a little bit more if they have not they're not going in with any kind of expectations yeah yeah so you know there's so it's a frustrating film in some ways because there are a couple of things that a memorable moments you know for people who love noah Baumbach, there's a there's some things in it that you're like all right well he he actually pulled this off because this is he is the definition of an indie filmmaker. I mean, yeah, sometimes his movies get mainstream play and Oscar nominations or whatever, but you know he is not a big budget Hollywood filmmaker. And so this is all, as close as we're going to get to seeing. You know, you're never going to have Noah Baumbach directing a Marvel or DC movie. I guess never say never. Greta Gerwig is directing Barbie. Yeah, and and Chloe Zhao directed Eternals. Yeah, so. that's true. So you and never, never say never. So maybe, maybe Noah Baumbach uh, d- directing a Hawkman movie or something. But you know, let's not assume that. So instead, we're gonna we're gonna go with this as as close to mainstream as we're gonna get. Although he did co-write the Barbie movie with Greta Gerwig. 
Right. Well, they're, you know, cohabiting. You no, know, I understand. So, I understand. Yeah. She's in it and Greta Gerwig is in this and she's pretty good uh, as as the, uh, the sort of female lead. And Adam Driver looking a lot like Steve Coogan, I, I got to say. In, in, I never thought about that, but yeah, he does look a bit like Steve Coogan there. In this movie, I, mean, I was I, like, I was like, maybe I think Steve Coogan. I think Greta Gerwig's really great in it. I think Adam Driver does really well. I mean, the hard part with Adam Driver is that the, the character is not supposed to have a lot of not a lot of confidence where he's supposed to be doubtful of his own confidence at the beginning. And, and Adam driver just exudes confidence all the time. He can't help it. He's had a lot of success. Uh, <laughs> he's, I mean, he's just a, you know, you just look at that guy and you're like, that guy's got it going on. He's, yeah. he's good. Yeah. It's ultimately, I think that this movie is, is one that if somebody really liked Noah Baumbach or if somebody really liked Don DeLillo, I would say, yeah, go watch it. And somebody was like, eh, I'm really more into Transformers movies. I'd go, yeah, you probably want to give this one up. Okay, roll film. Would you like that, a protein? That stuff causes cancer in laboratory animals, in case you didn't know. Either I chew gum or I smoke. What are these children, yours? That's mine from wives one and three. There's Babette's from husband two. Wilder is ours. We're each other's fourth. Life is good, Jack. I hope it lasts forever. Let's watch a sitcom or something. No! They're calling it the airborne toxic event. We won't come this way. Will we have to leave our home? Of course not. How do you know? I just know. Okay, what if it's dangerous? Evacuate all places of residence. It's kind of stiff and mannered, and I didn't love it. Um, you know, there's a couple of things to pull away from it, but a lot of times I just was like, yeah, screw this. You know? Yeah. I, I, but at least there's some scenes in the middle where stuff blows up. And and I laughed legitimately several times during yeah. it, but I also looked at my phone several times. Yeah, I was I, I, I was I I did some fast forwarding toward the end. I have to admit, um, <laughs> I, I I don't do that very much. But it's, that's that's the sign of a movie that doesn't have a very very gripping plot. You know, it doesn't have a lot of plot. It doesn't matter what if if it, if it doesn't matter what happens, you can fast forward through it. Uh, and, and, and if an a, then if a, a panel came by that was seemed atmospheric and interesting, I, I, I popped onto that. I really was just trying to get to the dance sequence at the end because I heard about it and I wanted to see it. So there we go. That's White Noise, airing on Netflix now. Twenty twenty three movie year has kicked off in earnest with the first major release of the year, and it is a sort of a horror comedy, a creepy doll movie from Blumhouse Productions, and it is in theaters now. It's called Megan, and uh, Pablo Gallago wrote a review of it this week. I also just saw it uh, today as we speak, and he's here to talk to me about it. Hello, Pablo. Hey Neil, thanks for having me again. Of course. So. Um, you know, I, I have to say, like a, lot, like a lot of people who, you know, like genre films or like pulpy films, uh, I, was, I was actually like unreasonably excited to see Megan. It, it set off a kind of a, um, uh, a, a celebration, not a celebration is not the right word, but it, it became sort of a cult thing after the trailer came out that showed this AI 
doll dancing and doing all kinds of goofy stuff. And people were really looking forward to it. Even if it was bad, I think people were ready to like it on a campy basis. But as it turns out, Megan is actually pretty good. Yeah, let's talk about that reaction a little bit. The the trailer dropped back in October, and there was just a frenzy in social media about that. It was, I think, kind of set off by this one moment in the trailer where she does this freaky dance. And I mean, it, that took off on TikTok. That was all over Twitter. And they also had kind of like this campaign uh, with an AI chatbot that you could do through Twitter DM, which I did, which was fun and interesting. So yeah, I think people were just kind of not sure what to make of that trailer exactly. Like, are they going for camp? Are they going all in on that? Or is it going to be like this serious sci-fi horror? And it kind of is a mixture of both, right? Um, kind of. Like, Although I, I would yeah. say it, it veered more toward the camp side of things. I mean, there's a lot of sort of memeable moments in this movie. A lot of, you know, the doll herself is so compelling and so weird and says a lot of weird things. And there's some songs she sings. That moment where she sings Titanium by Sia, uh, which is great because she's actually made of titanium. It's just, it was just so perfect. I was, I was, I was the only person in the theater laughing, but boy, that was. No, it brought down the theater in my theater. It definitely did. Like everyone cracked up at that. But yeah, uh, they go for broke on some of these uh, sort of campy in jokes of, you know, it's a killer doll. You know where this is headed, you know where it's going, and it goes there. And, you know, it's great. And there is, there is, there are plenty of jump scares and there is horror. But it's not super gory. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's very PG-13. Um, and, you know, it, it's a, it's a, I think it tapped into the zeitgeist. Um, there's a sort of a um, collective neurosis about the rise of artificial intelligence. The fact that you were able to communicate with a Megan chatbot before the movie came out shows that this movie is actually kind of spot on in terms of where we are uh, in ter- uh when it comes to artificial intelligence and robots, you know, it, it's a semi plausible I mean, the movie itself is, is camp and, and, you know, way over the top in the way it, it, it um, in terms of what happens, but, you know, it definitely taps into something. And also I think it taps into this um, millennial anxiety about parenting very well. You know, oh, like, it, it does that very well. That's kind of why I felt like there was a bit of a balance. I mean, it definitely goes full camp, but there is there are those quiet moments with uh, Allison Williams, who plays Gemma as the aunt who you know takes over custody of this young girl whose parents have just passed away, and she doesn't know where to start. She doesn't know what to do at all. And yeah, there's that anxiety for sure. Yeah, and it feels somewhat realistic. All right, well, this is a good moment to um, tune into a clip from Megan, or at least from the trailer for Megan, and then Pablo and I will be right back after that to talk about the movie a little bit more. Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm gonna do everything I can to make this place feel like home. Just wish I could see them again. I'm not equipped to handle this. I don't even take care of my own plants. I have this project at work. Do you wanna see? Yes. Ever since I was little, I dreamed of this perfect toy that would protect a kid from ever feeling lonely or sad. This is Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm Katie. It's nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. Megan, your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. Is that a doll? Model 3 generative. Android. Megan, for short. 
I can't believe you made this. I love it. Wanna hang out? Yeah, sounds like fun. Great job. It's nice to have a friend. It's honestly like she's part of the family now. They could be building emotional connections that are too hard to untangle. She's the happiest she's been since her parents died. Eat the toppings, Katie. Research shows if you force a child to eat vegetables, they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say... Megan, turn off. I thought we were having a conversation. All right. That is from Megan, which is in theaters now. Yeah, you were mentioning Allison Williams before the break. And, you know, she... Um, I mean, she's the major character in the movie. There is a, there is a girl who definitely has a lot of scenes and she's, she's fine. She's a decent child actor. Uh, but, in, but in terms of the human actors, I don't count Megan, who is a force of nature all to herself. You know, Alison Williams has to kind of carry the movie. And, you know, she, um, it's her first major film that she's been in since Get Out. And, you know, I feel like she actually holds the screen pretty well. And uh, she, she's, uh, she carries it, uh, you know, relatively believably, given that she's like a, playing a computer scientist. Yeah, I mean, she's making a name for herself in genre film. I, you know, I loved her in Get Out, and you know, this is definitely a different role for her. But yeah, I, I, she commands the screen very well, and I'm, I mean, a lot of that acting has to take place with, I, I assume, motion capture. I know there was a young actress who, uh, I don't know if that was motion capture or if they had her like on set doing the movements of Megan, and they probably CGI'd over her face. And then there's a separate voice actress as well. So yeah, I mean that's not an easy uh, role to fill when you're kind of you know playing against a CGI character. Yeah, and you know other than um, Allison Williams and then the girl who plays uh, the Katie, her niece, there really aren't any other significant. Uh, there's there are character act parts and you know small parts, but you know they're, they're fodder. Really, they're, it's the body count. That's those are the only yeah, other actors. Yeah, they basically just exist for for Megan to attack. You know the real star of the movie is the doll herself. I mean. She that that character, quote unquote, really commands the screen. Um, it's not it's very close to a Black Mirror episode, I would say. You know, it's within range, but it sort of has a slightly B movier edge, like a Roger Corman edge to it. Well, it's Blumhouse. It's a Blumhouse film. So it is, uh, you know, the horror uh, genre is definitely stamped on this. And you mentioned this in your review. Um you know, you're talking about how, you know, horror has kind of become, has stopped being so ponderous. You know, there were some years there where it was like super ponderous and all about trauma. And we're just looking at kind of like bonkers fun again. I mean, I, I compiled a list uh, to prepare for this conversation. Just looking back at films like uh, Hereditary and Midsummer, uh, Men, which all about abuse and gaslighting, as was Don't Worry Darling and The Invisible Man. Uh, Possessor, Dr. Sleep, you had Relic uh, about dementia, uh, yeah. St. Maud about trauma, like all of that. Yeah, I think... They're kind of kind of Me Too movies. Yeah, yeah. So there's this need, I think, in you know horror right now to kind of go back to just having silly fun and just having that kind of outlet of just sitting through something where you can turn your brain off for a little bit and enjoy just, you know, the blood and gore and, you know, whatever direction they're willing to take you. Also, like, Barbarian and Malignant are the ones that, to me, have st uh, stood out recently as just, you know, go have a fun experience at the theater. Um, actually, a screenwriter, Akila Cooper from Malignant, wrote this one as well. Yeah, so it's kind of, there's a shift. I, I feel like, and I feel like in general, there's a cultural shift ongoing toward more campy fun. We've had some real serious years 
uh, of of late. And the very Bible, serious, very know, very dark, very dark and serious years, both in the world and also in pop culture. And I feel like the culture. If you look at the list, there was a list that came out for some, you know geek website or whatever they, they listed all the sort of the genre movies that are coming out this year and you know i could probably pass on transformers and like tina teenage mutant ninja turtles or whatever but it was like a pretty like compelling fun list of like lots there's lots of campy possibilities uh this year and megan to me is a sort of a good kickoff for that it's like uh it, it's it's gonna um set the tone it's a, it's a table setter for 2023 yeah, I- I think another good indicator is I think uh, I believe Ari Aster's next film might be a comedy. I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that, but I know that he's kind of uh, heading that direction possibly with some of the scripts that he's written. So that, that's, I mean, that tells you everything. If the guy who did Hereditary is heading into a different direction like that. Right. Yeah. He's well, you know, and of course, Todd Phillips who made uh, old school and the hangover is now going to make a very serious personal <laughs> horror movie. Everyone's just going to switch. They're going to switch bodies. But the <laughs> switching bodies, you know, this movie kind of reminded me in some ways of Freaky, which came out during the pandemic and maybe was a bit of a sort of precursor to this. But it's like, you know, you're taking these kind of concepts and you're freshening them up a little bit and making them more fun. I don't know. I mean, I, I, per, I, was, I saw Megan. I went to the Friday morning showing. Like I was like, I was right in there, you know, and I was, I was happy I, I did it. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch it again, but... I will certainly make good um, use of the Megan gifts that are going to be everywhere. I'm proud of you. You don't really do horror, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this was within my range. You know, I could, I, <laughs> I mean, I saw Nope, you know, I saw, I, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I, I watched Barbarian. I, I, I can handle Barbarian. I just don't like, like, you know, and I like Midsummer. I just don't like super gory slasher. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, I, don't like, I don't like movies where people's heads turn around and like maggots <laughs> come out of their eyes or whatever. You know, I like I, I'm not I'm not down with all that stuff. But this isn't that. This is again like it's really like I said it's it's more of a um, it's slightly campier episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, relatively tame. Yeah. All right, Megan is out now. Pablo and I have seen it, and soon you will as well. Pablo Gallaga, thank you so much. Thank you, Neil. Well, no one will say that John Paul Gwynn doesn't have range. Earlier uh, in the show, we talked to him about White Noise, the literary adaptation of a very literary novel, a filmic adaptation that is literary in style, uh, of a very literary novel uh, by Don DeLillo. And now we're going to talk about Jack Ryan, which is also, and to some extent, a adaptation of a, of a book or a series of books, but it is about as far from quote-unquote literary fiction as you can get, and JP is back. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so Jack Ryan um, is a character who ha- you know, was, became well famous through the, the novels of Tom Clancy, and he has been, lots of people have portrayed him on screen, and you, I wasn't able to put this in uh, the piece, but you, you gave me a list of your favorite Jack Ryans. There have been several. There have been five. Five Jack Ryan. Um, so the worst. Baldwin through John Krasinski. Right. Yeah. So John Krasinski plays him on, on the TV show right now. The, wor- the, the, the you, you put Alec Baldwin at the top. Absolutely. 
Alec Baldwin's great. He so was, I, I mean, he, he was the, he, he was the Jack Ryan in in which movies? He was the he was Jack Ryan in Hunt for Red October. Oh, well, that's a that's classic, it. yeah. And we never got to see him as Jack Ryan again. Then they went to Harrison Ford for Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Yeah, well, those are both also uh, quite uh, ex- very uh, acceptable uh, mainstream uh, Hollywood thrillers. Um, but then we have also Chris Pine and Ben Affleck who have played uh, Jack Ryan. Affleck came in at Some of All Fears, mm-hmm. um, which came out in 2002. Uh and which the new season is is kind of based on that that same book that the movie was based on, and Chris Pine uh, did a one off um, uh, Shadow Jack Recruit. Ryan Shadow Recruit, yeah, uh, which wasn't really based on anything. Yeah, it was just a, just the Jack Ryan mythology. So Baldwin and Harrison Ford are at the top. I mean that makes sense, right? Right. Um, Harrison Ford kind of like doesn't fit the mold in a weird way, but a lot of people really like Patriot games and I feel bad putting him kind of further down. But to me, I mean, Jack Ryan is at least at the very beginning of the books, he's a very young role. He's this young guy who's a CIA analyst who was injured um, while he was serving in, um, I don't know, Marine Corps or the Navy. In Vietnam? Um, It was like a training accident. Oh, okay. Um, But he's, kind of the books kind of chart his ascent up the CIA eventually to the presidency. Even. Oh, the presidency. So I gonna, that's why I was going to ask if Air Force One was a Jack Ryan movie. <laughs> Air Force One is not a Jack Ryan movie, but sometimes people think it is. Uh-huh. Uh, even though he has a completely different name than Jack Ryan. Uh-huh. But it's the same character, basically. All right. So, uh, and so the John Krasinski version, which is, uh, you know, in his third season, I mean, that's a lot of episodes of Jack Ryan is he's sort of still in his, um, relatively youthful phase. I mean, well, at this point, John Krasinski is probably, it's got to be pushing 40. Yeah. He's probably late, like late thirties, I think. Yeah. Like that, early forties. Yeah. So, so we're look, we're not looking at early, like baby face Jack Ryan, like we saw on the submarine and hunt for red October. Yeah. I think that, um, at this point he's moved from in through the first season, he was kind of, a desk jockey. And then he got into field work during that first season. And you're also seeing kind of the start of him developing a relationship with Jim Greer, who in this is, is kind of a senior field agent at the CIA and was previously played by uh, um, James Earl Jones in the movies. Um, And in the first season, you also get to see a little bit of, Oh my gosh, actual dating um, Mm. where he's starting to kind of, uh, develop a relationship and then once it gets to season two he's just full-on field agent all the time yeah uh and you know, you know i just action like, occurs it's funny like this streaming tv i think is there's a lot of this kind of material on streaming tv where it's just like adaptations of of series of books that really that, that are i mean there aren't bad but they're not literary you know you've got like bosch you talk we've talked about reacher on, right. on the show before and you you know you have all, all this kind of stuff that um is is slow horses which is currently on apple tv yeah. plus you know the, these uh they just they're probably pretty cheap to make and they lend themselves very well to serialized television i think bosch is is a great example bosch and reacher are great examples i mean we've only seen one season of reacher so far uh, and which was primarily just based on the first book. So they have a ton of material that they can go into to keep making stuff. And Bosch, uh, you know, Connolly's been putting out books 
steadily since, I don't know, the early to mid 90s, something like that with Bosch and then Mickey Haller, the Lincoln Lawyer stuff. Yeah, uh, they, they, made the Bosch- an, they made an adaptation of the Lincoln Lawyer for Netflix. That uh, the, the McConaughey movie is really good, but the, the, um, the Netflix show is not good. The Netflix show is not, but Bosch, Bosch is good. It's very faithful to the books. A lot of their seasons combine usually like two books together yeah. at a time. Yeah, but and, I just find and, it's streaming. This is like, a, there's it's sort of the bread and butter of streaming TV because, you know, Jack Ryan is a, po- is a popular program. I mean, people watch this thing. But it's, to Jack Ryan stuff at this point, I mean, it's almost like he's a brand. I can only imagine what's going on in your head right now. Every day you're on the run, you're digging a hole that you may not be able to get out of. I'm not running from the CIA. Then why are they chasing you? And um, and, and as I think Bosch and, and Reacher are, but in a way that I don't think was really maybe intended. It doesn't really kind of matter. It's just that the Ryan stuff, after the first season of the show, it just gets kind of boring. It doesn't really matter who Jack Ryan is. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's one of those things where you you, you stop paying attention for a few minutes, you kind of go like, wait, is that one of the guys that works with the CIA? And it doesn't really matter most of the time. Um, Whereas Bosch is pretty good consistently and Reacher breaks people's fists with his head. Uh, yeah. So that's fun. And Jack Ryan isn't a, t- a tough guy in the same way. No, but he's, I mean, Krasinski's fine, but he's not given a lot to do, yeah. even though there's a lot going on all the time. It's just kind of rote spy stuff. Whereas like you mentioned slow horses, slow horses is not high art or anything, whatever that means, but it is fun. It's a lot more fun. The characters are a lot more fun. And it just feels like with Jack Ryan, it's like, America's the good guy. There's a thing. He's going to run around and warn people about the thing. And then eight episodes later, the thing's not going to be over. And then next season starts. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and also let's, let, let's face it. You know, Tom Clancy is a writer from another time. You know, he's a cold, basically a cold war thriller writer. Um, and we are well, well past that historical period. So it's like, so what are we really plugging Jack Ryan into? <laughs> right. Cause it's not, it's not just a straight out action thriller like born or something like that. Like it has those moments and it's also not, um, it's also not like Le Carre. It's not Tinker, Tinker Taylor. It's not, it's not real spying. Well, that's the thing about the born movies, right? As compared to Jack Ryan is like, they're, they're just nonsense. They're like, they're almost, I mean, if you really think about it, there's nonsense. They're like John Wick. Oh yeah. You know, they're, 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 that, that, those, that's not a, it's not a reality, uh, any kind of discernible reality. So you can just kind of, um, you know, immerse yourself in the, in the melodrama and the chase. But they're at least fun nonsense. Yeah. And if you, if you're not going to have fun nonsense from spies, like you do with James Bond or, uh, Jason Bourne, then it should be at least you should have moral ambiguity. And that's the main thing that's kind of missing with a lot of Tom Clancy stuff is you have geopolitical stuff going on, but there's no moral ambiguity there. The good guys are very definitely the good guys and the bad guys are very definitely the bad guys. And the CIA is an honorable institution. Right. Right. It never spies on its own citizens or anything. 
Right. You know, it never, it, you know, it's, it, it never, it's never overthrowing democratically elected leaders of foreign governments. Yeah. Jack it's Ryan's the They're here to protect us. Jack Ryan is never dosing anybody with LSD to see what happens. You right. Know? Right. He, he, he's never, um, he's never bri- bribing a, a hooker to stab the health minister or something. <laughs> No, there's nothing like that. Yeah. Like, you know, he might break somebody's hand or something like that. Well, yeah, but that's in the name of democracy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, Jack Ryan is, he is a Boy Scout character. Yeah. And I don't think that... Um, as we, as we all know, some... the Boy Scouts are another unsullyable institution. <laughs> <laughs> what happened, True. What happened to Jack Ryan and the Boy Scouts that made him so good? All right. <laughs> JP, uh, thank you so much for talking to me about <laughs> Jack Ryan and about um, white noise. I don't know. There aren't many other people out there who could who could br- bridge that gap. So we, we appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you want to bring me back on about Bosch or Reacher, I, I read those too. Yeah. Hey, man. Stay safe out there. All right. Thanks to my contributors this week. JP Gwynn. And Pablo Gallaga, we talked about Megan, we talked about Jack Ryan, and we talked about White Noise. This show has got such a breadth of range. We go high, we go low, we go somewhere in the middle. We talk about everything for five to 15 minutes, which is all you need. You don't need us to go on for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, uh, riffing about our lives and about what the movie meant to us. We just give you the straight facts, that uh, the opinions you need to know in order to make your own inform pop culture decisions that's the point of book and film globe www.bookandfilmglobe.com i am neil pollock i am the editor of that great site i am the host of this excellent podcast you are the listeners of this excellent podcast and i thank you so much for tuning in yet again i will talk to you soon you can buy the books discussed on the book and film globe podcast at the book house book and film globe's independent bookstore Go to the Bookhouse Milburn, M-I-L-L-B-U-R-N dot com to shop online and support small independent booksellers. Or visit our actual physical site in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors featured on The Dark Word and the Book and Film Globe podcasts. The Bookhouse Milburn dot com. <laughs>